Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Well, good morning, Bright Church. My friends Ben and Sarah. I was supposed to be with you guys live this year, but of course, because of circumstances, that's just not going to happen. So we're going to have to go uh, with the next best thing. I, I'm speaking to you on Father's Day. So I get to open the Bible today, and I take that very seriously. And, and anytime you open the Bible, you want to ask it at least two questions. One, what happened? Two, most importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? And so I want to talk to you about honor your father and mother today. And I want to stop right there. And I want to talk to you, the person who's fixing to click this off, right? You're like, as soon as you heard that, you're like, uh-uh, I am turning, I'm going to some other thing. I want to stop, just stop right there. I want to talk to you because I, I, I get it. I understand that certain people avoid church on Father's Day and Mother's Day because they know some sort of message is going to come along these lines. And, and your story is, um, has some pain in it. And you just can't go there. Right, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to ask you to give me 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And I'm going to ask you to let me shift your imagination on that word. Because words matter less than our imagination of how words work. And so when we hear honor, we can have all kinds of different thoughts about what that is and what that isn't. And if you'll give me a few minutes here, I promise you I can recapture the beauty of that word. I can recapture the beauty of that word and show you where it'll change your life. So if you give me a few minutes here, I promise you the key to your life and to your family moving forward is found in a proper understanding of that word. If you'll let me do this, uh, we'll open this beautiful scripture together and find a beautiful new narrative for your life. So let's go. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three different concepts. Uh, the first, if you're like type likes following an actual Bible, is in Ezekiel 18. Uh, the second is in Exodus 20. And the third is in Ephesians 6. And those three words that we're going to center our study around today are the words responsibility, honor, and promise. So those three words, responsibility, honor, and promise. So in, in Ezekiel 18, there, there's a guy named Ezekiel. And he's a prophet. And he's writing to some Israelite people who are finding themselves enslaved in an empire called Babylon. So Babylon has come in and they have wrecked Jerusalem and they've taken people uh, captive. And so um, they are finding themselves dejected and, and it's horrible. And so, so Ezekiel is, you know, he's trying to write comfort into them. He's trying to, to speak encouraging words. And, and at first it sounds like he's slapping them around a little. He, he says this in Ezekiel 18 verse 1. What do you people mean by, by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and now the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as the Lord your God lives, declares the sovereign Lord. I don't want to ever hear you quote this proverb again. So, so he says, look, the fathers eat sour grapes. And now the children's teeth are set on edge. I, I don't want to hear this coming out of your mouth ever again, which leads to a couple of questions. One, what does this proverb mean? And, and two, and, and more importantly, why is God so apparently ticked off that they were regularly saying it? Now, to understand this and to understand where we're going to go in Exodus 20, this brief history lesson is going to help us quite a bit to understand how Israel got to where 
they got. So, so let's start with a guy named Abraham uh, who had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. This is going to be very quick, and it's a bit of a caricature, obviously, because we're going to cover quite a bit of history here in about one minute, maybe two. So a guy named Abraham has a son named Isaac, has a son named Jacob, who has 12 children. And, um, and those 12 children, um, 11 of those 12 children sell their brother into slavery in Egypt, only to later need him to save them out of a famine um, that in the land they were living in. And so they didn't really realize that the person they're going to need to save their life was the guy that they sold, but that's how it works. It's, it's actually a brilliant story about how choosing not to escalate violence and to see the good and see what God did in things. It's it got quite a lot of good lessons there. So Joseph acts um, kindly to them and comforts them and gives them a piece of land. And, and, and this family then start procreating and they start having babies. And then the next generation has babies. And then there was babies and more babies. And then there was babies and there was more babies. And then there was babies and babies and more babies and more babies and more babies, and more babies until they begin to outpopulate Egypt. Well, this panics the head of Egypt, this guy, guy named Pharaoh, and he says, you know what, this, this can't be. So he does what he found normal, which would be to enslave the Israelite people. So 430 years later, God raises up a guy named Moses, and he gets them out of slavery into freedom by walking them through the Red Sea. And they end up at a place called Mount Sinai, where they receive something we know as the Ten Commandments. We'll get to that in a second. They end up in their own land with this mandate. Be the people who show the whole world what justice and righteousness looks like. Remember, you serve a God who's a slave liberator. Show the whole world what that might look like. Well, this turns out terribly. But by the third king, a guy named Solomon, it, it says that this is the account of the slave labor that Solomon forced to build the temple to the Lord. And he also used slave labor to build more military bases where he had become an arms dealer um, by selling weaponry from country to country at a profit. So a guy that comes from a lineage of freed slaves is now forcing slaves to build the temple to honor the God who frees the slaves. And, and he failed to see the irony in that. So what ends up happening is, is they end up back in exile so that these people called prophets show up and say, listen, if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing in terms of maintaining justice, righteousness, if you just trade one empire of tyranny, the Egyptian empire, for another one, but call it God, that doesn't work. You can't just create a new Egypt and that works. So they end up back enslaved in a place called Babylon and they blame somebody. They blame Solomon so much so that they refused to even mention him by name. They, they just simply called him David's son because that's how you get somebody out of your memory. If you want somebody not to be remembered, just refer to him as not his name. This is why if you've ever been through a divorce or something, you don't refer to your ex by their name. You refer to them as my ex or the children's father. That's one way to get people to quit remembering who, who, who they were. So they just refer to him as David's son. And then they said, look, because David's son failed, we are where we are. It's David's son's fault that we are where we are. And, and they came up with this interesting song slash proverb uh, that they would use to comfort themselves while they were in captivity. And it went something like this. It's my father that ate sour grapes, and that's why my teeth are set on edge. It's my father that ate sour grapes. In other words, Solomon or David's son, his mistakes are the reason we are where we are. That's why the prophets to Babylon, they say things like, take heart, for God will bring a new son of David who will maintain justice and righteousness to the poor. Which is why if you fast forward to Jesus, 
people called him a lot of things. Jesus Christ, Jesus our Savior, Jesus Son of Joseph, Jesus our King, Jesus the Lion, Jesus the Lamb, Rabbi Jesus, Jesus a guy that likes fishing. But the poor and the afflicted, they had one name for him. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. In other words, are you the Son of David that the prophets of old spoke about? Because if you're that guy, that means you're here for the poor. Newsflash. I'm poor, which means you're here for me. Now, if you tuned out in any of that, come back now, because I'm going to summarize all of that in a couple sentences. Because of the history of Israel, what was happening was, is the current generation was blaming the previous generation for why they are the way they are. Because we would never hear of that now. We've never seen a case where someone's horrendous behavior is being blamed on the previous generation. We don't know of any 20-year-olds that if they were confronted on their dysfunctional behavior, they might blame their father or they might blame their mother. And here's, here's the problem with this, is God says, I don't wanna hear you do that. It is completely disempowering to you to blame someone else for where you are in life. That the power of taking responsibility empowers you to make your own path in life. If you are where you are, it's not because your parents' fault, unless you're eight. If you're not eight, if you're eight, you get to blame your parents. But if you're 20, you don't get to blame your parents anymore. If you're 30, you don't get to blame them. If you're 40, and like we've all we've all had experiences like that. Like I, I, I've sat with someone before and they've told me their story and anyone could see, yes, your mother was horrible, cantankerous, possessive and critical and quite frankly, terrible. So you're a horrible, possessive, critical and quite frankly, terrible. I get it. I get it. Your mom ate sour grapes. That's why you are the way you are. Your dad was horrible. He was abusive. He was introverted. He, he, he never spoke to you. He cut you all off. He drank too much. And so you're sort of an abusive, introverted person that cuts people. I, I, I get it. Anybody can see it. Like you, your dad was like that. Yes, I get it. So you're like that. Your mom's like that. So yeah, yeah so you're like that. Here's the problem. The problem is that you're, you're 40. And at some point, you have to draw a line in the sand that says just because somebody else ate sour grapes doesn't mean that I have to perpetuate that darkness going forward in my life. If you look all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2, where creation was going on, part of the fundamental way a human being was meant to get their purpose in life was by taking responsibility. Even before sin entered the situation, the idea was, is I've made something, now you tend it, you take responsibility for it. That taking responsibility is critical to us finding any sense of purpose in our life. And if you look back at the Adam and Eve story, no matter how you read it, the truth is, is they do the opposite of that and they blame. One blames the serpent, one blames the woman, and neither one of them took responsibility for their own actions. And so when we talk about the situation of honor our father and mother, the first thing we need to do is we need to come to the understanding that actually the best place for my life is never, ever, ever, regardless of how bad the fault was, the best, most empowering position I can take in my life is to say, you know what, just because my father ate sour grapes does not mean my teeth has to be set on edge. I am not dictated by the decisions of the previous generation. I can live on a more profound level than that and choose life and light instead of death and darkness. And in Ezekiel 18, he spends a whole chapter encouraging them not to buy into the deterministic philosophy of, gen of generational curses. And, and he says, no, 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 no. Every generation 
can stand on their own two feet before God. And the ones that choose light and life will reap light and life. And the ones who choose death and darkness will reap death and darkness. But you can be empowered in your generation to choose that. And it's empowering to your life to take responsibility for where we are. You, you might say, Shane, you don't understand how dysfunctional my family was. Well, I, I, you're probably right. I, I, I would say also that all of our families had some level of dysfunction to them. My dad was a good man, but if I started telling some stories, there's some things he did that were funny, I guess now, but at the time, were, he liked to scare us. He, he liked to embarrass us. He thought that was hilarious. He thought it was hilarious to embarrass me in front of all of my friends. And then he became sort of, sort of popular with them. Now, he never meant it maliciously or anything, but you know, we could all tell stories. And the truth of it is, is, is if you're thinking, you know what? Your best stories about your dad are funny. My stories are not that funny. My story is actually, quite frankly, abusive. And so could, could, you, could you help me at all? And, and, and I would say a couple things. One, the first place we have to get to is we have to understand that the, the posture of taking responsibility instead of blaming somebody else for why we are the way we are is critical to honor. Because the second thing I want to talk to you about is honor. So the first thing is responsibility. Second thing is honor. In, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, this is a part of something called the ten, we call the Ten Commandments. Uh, in, in, the, in the Israelite world, they don't call them Ten Commandments. And I, I have no trouble with calling them Ten Commandments because that's what we know them as. But in the Jewish world, they're called a ten-word ketubah, a ten-word marriage proposal. This was not ten conditions for God to love us. This was 10 proofs he already does. This was a group of slaves who were led into freedom. Now, when you take a group of slaves and you lead them into freedom, you've got to start at ground one about what it even means to be human. What does it even mean to act like a someone in the image of God in our world? What does that even, what does that even look like? And so this first thing that comes around is pretty basic stuff like, God wants to have a relationship with these people. And, and, if we, and if we read the Ten Commandments as a marriage proposal instead of Ten Conditions, it makes it way more beautiful. Like, hey, don't have any other gods before you. Well, that's common sense. Like, if we're going to be married, I'd like to be the only one. Or, or hey, don't have idols. In, in other words, if we're going to be married, if you could put the pictures of your old boyfriends down, that would be, be awesome, right? If, if, you would, if you would resist the urge to make me in some image that makes you comfortable, that, that would be... That, that, that would be great. Oh, oh, hey, don't use my name in vain. And by, by the way, that wasn't a, a language issue. That was a way you carry yourself issue. It was don't carry the name in a way that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. In other words, um, um, don't sign checks I wouldn't sign. Don't come up with your bad idea and convince everybody by saying God said. You, you things like this. You know. Oh, oh, let's take a day off a week and spend it together. Right? Let's, let's do that. Let's, let's have a day off where we remember we're not machines because you came out of slavery. There's never been a day you weren't a machine. So let, let's, let's do that. And, and then the whole thing flips and it talks about how we interact with each other. And he says things like, honor your father and mother, which we'll get to in a second. He says things like, don't kill each other. What's well, a good idea? Like, like, in other words, in our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't kill the weaker people. That would be an amazing world. Hey, hey, don't sleep with each other's spouses, right? Wait a minute. In our new world, the biggest, strongest, higher class people can't rape our wives with no judicial right at all. That'd be amazing. Hey, don't steal each other's things. 
Oh, you, wait a minute. You mean in, in our new world, my life, my wife, and my stuff is protected? This would be amazing. Oh, in our new world, I get a day off? This would be an amazing thing. And of course, the natural question would be, how do we stay in a land like that? That would be an amazing place. And so in the middle of it, God says, hey, honor your father and mother that your days will be long in the land that God's... In other words, if you want to stay a long time in this situation, the critical nature of honoring your father and mother, is it, it can't be overstated. Here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that words matter less than our imagination of how words function. And so when I say honor, I have to understand that I'm dealing with potentially a hundred different imaginations of what that is and what that isn't. So, so let's talk for a second about what honor is not. Uh, honor is not pretending it didn't happen. Uh, honor is not sweeping it under the rug. Uh, honor is not pretending it's not wrong. Uh, honor is, is not this willy-nilly, I'll just, I'll, just say, I'll just say you were great regardless of how dark it was. Honor is not any of those things. Actually, what we're going to find in a second is that honor is the opposite of that. Honor is not walking into the situation, eyes shut and blinded and pretending like nothing happened. Honor at its purest form is actually eyes wide open, calling it what it is. Uh, in, in the Jewish consciousness, there was a couple of words that matter here. Life, light, and increase. Or death, darkness, and decrease. In, in their world, this was not about going to heaven when you died. It was about living in such a way that led our life to wholeness here. Or living in such a way that led our life to disrepair here. And, and they called that death or darkness. Or they called wholeness, life, and light. And, and so actually, honor has nothing to do with calling something that's darkness light. That would be terrible. Or, or calling something that is disrepair, repair. Or calling something that is chaos, creation. Actually, uh, honor is the opposite of that. Honor in the Jewish world, and this is so important, honor has nothing to do with what you say to someone and more to do with what you act, how you act away from them. Now, if you take a second, you just know that to be true. Like if you're if you're a, a dad and your 16-year-old says, Dad, I honor you. Well, that would bless your heart. But what's more honoring is knowing that when he or she is out with her friends at 11 o'clock at night in town, that they are acting in a way that honors the values of your home out there more so than what they're saying to your face in here. Or um, if, if you're a pastor, right, and you say, ah, oh, look, um, uh, you're, one of your church people says, hey, pastor, look, I honor you. Well, that would bless your heart. And if you're, if you're a part of this great church, you should be honoring your pastor. You absolutely should. Absolutely. And that would bless their heart. But what's more honoring is that when people are away from the church, that their life is honoring the values of the church out there. That's more honoring. Now, the same thing's true when it comes to honoring your father and mother. Honoring your father and mother has nothing to do with what you say to them. This is why uh, somebody like myself, who had great parents, we, we, look, we look at this command and we could think, of all 10, that's the easiest one. Honoring my father and mother, that is simple. And yet, I could miss the whole point. And there are people who, maybe their parents were terrible. 
And because of that, they just avoid the whole thing. And in, and in so doing, they miss the whole point as well. Honor really has nothing to do with what you say to your parents. It has everything to do with how you live going into the next generation away from them. Choosing to eradicate death and darkness and leave that in the past and choosing to perpetuate life and light and moving that forward. Now, what that requires is not being blind, not calling darkness light. It actually requires us to call it what it is. Let's think about it this way. Honor is not pretending it didn't happen. Honor is really not saying it's okay. Honor is not pretending it wasn't wrong. Honor is actually doing an audit every generation and going, where is this generation perpetuating life and light? And where is this generation actually perpetuating death and darkness? And what God says is that if you want to live a long time in the land, this awesome land, imagine a world like this. If you, want, if you want that for a long, long time, you need to regularly, at least every generation, do an audit and see where we're perpetuating life and light and where we're perpetuating death and darkness. Because once you start perpetuating de death and darkness to the next generation, it's only a few generations away before that overtakes an entire society. So, so let's, let's maybe put some language around this and talk about what honor is. Honor is maintaining godliness through our generations maintaining light in life. It's breaking the cycle of ungodliness for the next generation. And it's tied to a promise about length of time in that amazing land. It requires us to call things that are darkness, darkness, and choose not to get retribution, but choose to live better going forward, going into the next generation. So, so, so how can we do that? Well, I think first, we need to appreciate the fact that we're alive. Like, the truth of it is, is that no matter what our parents did or didn't do, they did give us life before they did anything else. So before we knew any of their light or any of their darkness, they did give us life. I, I think we need to see our parents in perspective of sinful humanity, that everybody misses the mark. Everybody's got their issues. Everybody's got their story. Everybody. And I think we need to give up the urge to stand in judgment and if there's any vengeance to be had, just leave that at the throne of the one whose throne is made of justice and righteousness. Leave that in God's pay grade. See, the truth of it is, is that your parents were probably wounded too. I love the way the Franciscans say it. They say to fully know is to fully forgive. That is why God is the only one who can fully forgive because he's the only one that actually fully knows. Um, but the truth of it is, is that our culture actually depends on it. The quality of your life depends on you honoring your father and mother. Now, what does that mean? What well, doesn't mean to call something that wasn't okay, okay? It doesn't mean to live boundarylessly, let them just keep doing it. It does mean to call it darkness and go, you know what? I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're not going to act like that and perpetuate that through the generations. Because see, what is normal is established in all of our brains by the age of eight. You think that the way you grew up was normal. And here's the issue with that. So do I. And so does the person you married. And so does your neighbor. And that's why when we're, when we're confronted by somebody whose their normal is a bit different than, than our normal, which was only a, a virtue and a function of where we grew up, we go, ah, that, that's weird. But see, they think we're weird. 
The, the question, the worst question is, is, is this normal? That's a terrible question. The far more profound question is, is this wise? Is this useful? Is this light? Is this darkness? And choosing to eradicate darkness and leave it in the past, and choosing to perpetuate light in life in the future. And when we do that, that's honor. And when we do that, we actually save our culture from a perpetuation of darkness. Uh, let, me, let me be more specific. It is within your power today to change your family tree forever. It is. Maybe you need to have a conversation when this video goes off. And you need to say to your spouse, is there anything we're allowing in our family that's just a virtue if that's how it was always done, but actually if we're honest, it's actually darkness, it's disrepair. Like some families yell to get their way. Some families are more peaceful. The question isn't what's normal. The question is what's wise, what's useful, what perpetuates light in life. S some families are promiscuous. Some families are pure. The question isn't what's right or wrong or, or, or what's normal. The question is what's wise, what's useful, and what perpetuates light in life. And here's the truth of it. If you'll be brave enough to take an audit of your family system and go, you know what? There are certain family habits that are perpetuating that actually belong to darkness and death. And we don't want that anymore. So we're going to eradicate that. We're, we're, going to, we're going to quit doing that. Here's what will happen. Your children will grow up with a different normal. And you can change your family tree forever. Our culture depends on that. Our life depends on the length of time in the land depends on that. So, so first, responsibility. Second, honor. Third, promise. Let me read you the words of the Apostle Paul um, from Ephesians chapter 6. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. What was that promise? That you'll live a long time in this awesome land God has given you. So, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So, so, so here's, and then he goes on to say, and fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, I, I travel the world and um, I get asked every now and then, Shane, you must come from a long line of educated preachers. Um, no. My great grandfather was illiterate. He made his living moonshining and he was a racist member of the Ku Klux Klan. My great-grandfather was an illiterate, moonshining racist. So how do you get from illiterate, moonshining racist to a guy that travels the whole world telling all cultures that the love of Christ is for everybody and Christ is the ground of being, holding all things together. There is not Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Why? Because there's one spirit holding us all together. How do you get from that to that? Well, my parents drew a line in the sand and said, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Our children will go to school. Our children will read books. Our children will learn the love of Christ. And our children will not be racist because that's just stupid. And in just that little shift generationally, what ended up happening is an entirely new normal is perpetuated forward. Listen, for some of us, our fathers did eat sour grapes. And you know what we need to call that what it is? Darkness is darkness. Disrepair is disrepair. Chaos is chaos. But to honor your father and mother has nothing to do with pretending that didn't happen. It has everything to do with naming it, because if you can mention it, you can manage it, and making a choice. As for me and my house going forward, we will live in light and life, and you can be the hero of your family tree. How do you do that?
we take responsibility. We choose to honor and we embrace the promise. And when we do those things, you can be the hero of your family tree. And one day your grandchildren will look back on you and thank you for that. But if you don't, your children are going to have to do it. Why leave it to them when you could do that now? So why don't right now where you, where you are, why don't you ask yourself a few questions? One, is there anything in my family tree that actually belongs to death and darkness? Any habit that we do. It's not light in life. It is normal because that's how we grew up, but it's not light in life. And, and, and is there anything we need to repent from and instill new habits? Maybe we could ask it this way. Ma'am, if your son married a woman like you, would you be happy for him? If your son married a woman who treats him like you treat his father, would you be happy for him? Because here's the problem. He's gonna. And it's not because of Oedipus. It's because he thinks you're normal. Or sir, if your daughter married a man like you, would you be happy for her? Or would you think, oh no. Because if the truth is, is that as parents, we're meant to show our children what God is like. So how do they think about compassion? How do they think about the poor and the afflicted? How do they think about the marginalized? How do they think about interpersonal conflict? And if we look at that and go, you know what? I don't want my children to have that future. The key to changing it is honor your father and mother. Call the family habit what it is and choose light, life, and increase going forward. Eradicate darkness. Perpetuate light. Our culture and our life depends on it. Be the hero of your family tree today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.